10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Borodar Pal Proisoy Avatari. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea. And it is my top 10 episode show. It is the countdown. It is our, um, yeah, best episodes of the year. So, welcome. Join me. Tune in. Talk it out. Off we go. Live from Swansea. This is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And Borodar Pal, Kroisori Abitawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea and welcome to my countdown, my top 10 of my favourite shows of the year on uh, Teachers Talk Radio. Um, Now, I am going to be getting straight into it and straight off the bat with one of my favourite ones. It's about maths mastery. It was Sobia and it was someone who I had uh, the the chance to get some training off at one point when I was a primary school maths manager. Mohi from uh, Maths No Problem at the time, but Singapore Maths now. Off we go. Let's hear a little bit of that interview. Okay, that's fantastic. That's like uh, summarised everything for me. I'm just going to bring Mohi in now because Mohi's got a good quote about mastery. Can you hear me, Mohi? Hi there, Sophia. I can hear you. Hi. Yeah, I can hear you. Um, we were just talking about mastery, and you said you had something to add onto about mastery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mastery is something that um, you know NCTM have been really pushing over the last um, five to eight years, I think it is now. Um, but as Pete mentioned, that it's something that's been around for over hundred years, and and so I wanted to quote something that I got from a CPD session from Professor Akiko Takahashi from DePaul University, and it's 10 pages of mathematics understood are better than 100 memorized and not understood, and one page actually worked out independently is better than 10 pages clearly but passively understood. The question is not how much but how. The object is mastery attainment of the spirit of the subject and not to train the memory or to ingest a large bulk of mathematical facts and formulas. And this book is, uh, this quote rather, is from a book called The Teaching of Mathematics from Jacob William Albert Young um, from 1908. So around 113 years or so ago. And so, so sometimes we feel that Mastery is something quite new, you know, something I've been pushing, uh, someone, someone's been pushing or, or uh, NCTM has been pushing towards maths teachers, but it's actually over a hundred years old, you know, and it's, it's something we're still trying to work out. And so I think with the definition of mastery, I don't think it can, it can ever be succinct and it can ever be 100% clear. And hence why I think a lot of teachers are still quite confused by the term mastery, because as, as Lee mentioned, that is also being used as a marketing um, tool uh, for many various different companies. Uh, and so that's something I wanted to add. But that's there is no such thing as Singapore Maps. You know, um, 
when children get their timetables in Singapore, it doesn't say Singapore Maths on it, it just says Maths. You know, it's, it's, it's something that we've kind of created um, outside of Singapore. And really, um, Singapore Maths, what we call Singapore Maths, is just good practice based on excellent research. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Yep, and as I said, you know, one of my favourite episodes there, and we, we have to keep it short, you know, I've got 10 to get through, uh, but one of my favourite there, Mohi was one of the best uh, CPDs I've had on maths, and as a maths lead, uh, those ideas. Now, if you are listening live, you can tweet in your comments, you can text us in, you can even call in if you have something to say, and of course you can follow us. If you've been following us on Twitter, you'll see the tweets going out thick and fast from this show. And next up, uh, next up, one of my next favourite shows is uh, Tabitha uh, talking to uh, James Hansicom, um about for um, really uh, high expectations um, for uh, kids from the tougher background. So we're going to roll straight into that one next. And uh, yeah, as I say, if I can keep up with half the things that they talk about in these in, in Tabitha's shows, I'm always pleased with myself. It's like uh, Only Connect and... Um, University Challenge will rolled into one sometimes. So off we go. <laughs> is that you, James? This is me, James, yes. Fantastic, because I have to say your username gives no indication that that's who you are. I have no idea where that username came from. I don't understand technology. <laughs> so it looks like you just key smashed. Like... I know, I'm going to be KCMK2 something, something, something. Ah, fair. Um, yeah, I put it to you that you're addicted to tricolon, crescendo and polysemy. What do you say to that, sir? I, I plead guilty on, on all three accounts. Um, I blame a classical education. <laughs> and yet you're a math specialist. It seems very unfair that you should be able to reach into my field of specialty and pluck from it so extensively. Well, it's, it's one of the joys and one of the challenges of being a math specialist. Um, the joy is that once you can do maths, everything else seems easy. And, and the challenge is that uh, nobody's interested in talking about maths. So, uh, so, so we can talk about poetry all day, but as, as soon as we start talking about group theory, you're going to lose listeners. <laughs> I would, I'd, I'd like to pretend that's not true, but um, I think you're right, absolutely right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, fan, let, let's go to the ethos first of all. Um, like I said, I've been studying studying your book this morning. Uh, ambition, perseverance, legacy. Why, why are those, why are those three words your your ethos? Um, that's a really good question, and um, I think in the book I'm very vague about that. I had to start somewhere. Harris Westminster started, um, or my time with Harris Westminster started in the summer of 2013, and the school had no building, no policies, no staff. Um, it had a mission, um, which is still its mission, to offer an outstanding academic education to uh, the ordinary and disadvantaged young people of London. Um, mm -hmm. But it didn't have anything else, and I needed to, to get hold of something to build on. And um, so I needed some words 
And I thought, what do I want? What do I want from me? What do I want from students? What do I want to tell staff is important? Um, and those were the three I settled on. I think that, I think they're good ones. I think that um, ambition um, sets, sets the framework, says that we're not going to be contented with anything really, but certainly, uh, certainly we're always looking to the next thing. Mm. Perseverance is the acceptance that it's going to be hard. And legacy is really important to me. Um, I don't want to spend the best years of my life creating a school uh, that turns out really successful jerks. I want the world to be better. <laughs> that uh, anticipates some of the questions I'm going to ask you about. We, we both ended up in, um, in Oxbridge and then the Ivy League. And the idea of really successful jerks is quite crucial to both of those, those uh, social constructions. All right. So uh, let me, I, I did send you some questions beforehand. So I'm going to stop being cruel and asking you questions that I didn't tell you I was going to ask you. Um, let's start with the first thing I wanted to ask you. So Harris Westminster Sixth Form as a model of state school excellence. My, um, the, the college friend I was visiting in Berlin, she went to Hills Road Sixth Form College, which is obviously an outstanding model of, you know, some people call it an Oxbridge factory, but that, um, that very much takes kids from the entire county and very much from the public and private school system as well as the state school system how are you different what is your model of state school excellence talk to us um well i've tried to learn some things from hills road my wife went to hills road so um i know some of the things that that they well certainly they did some number of years ago mm. um I think that the big thing that sets us apart from all of the other super selective sick forms is that we have this focus on the most disadvantaged, um, that our admissions policy is written to prioritise students whose um, homes are, are, do not have the economics um, that, that go with um, academic success. And this is what won me over to the project, in fact. Um, I said that they didn't have any policies. The one policy they did have was their admissions policy. And I'd spent the last few years doing admissions for the school I was teaching at as a deputy head. And so I know how to write an admissions policy if you actually want to weasel out of what you claim you're doing. Um, and I sort of suspected that, that the admissions policy would be something where it was going to favour the middle classes and they'd be able to get round it whilst claiming that they were doing the right thing. Uh, and then I read it and I thought, you know what, this is, this is the real deal. These are people who absolutely want to set front and centre um, providing for the disadvantaged. Um, and I think that is... That's key to everything we do. It's um, at the heart of the way that we operate. And it's, it's what sets us apart, I think. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And I love that quote that they ended on there, and it's gone out on our Twitter already. We're going to the ads, and we'll see you just on the Are other side. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers 
and ensure no child is left behind. The program offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And hey, 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 next up we have in at number eight, we have, a, I guess, a double hoster, a double header. It's actually Noreen when she had Tom Starkey on, and they're talking about assistive technology in the classroom. And I love some of the conversations that Tom has around this. She's, he, as I say, he's now a host with a show of his own. But when he's talking about the way that technology can be used to help people, I think that's really interesting to me. And so in it goes at number eight. Let's hear a little bit of that interview. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Hello, Tom. Hello, how are you doing? I tell you what, that can you hear me? That has basically been the phrase of the last couple of years, <laughs> isn't it? You know, speaking as an assistive technology uh, board, I, I've probably said that more than any other series of words over the past kind of 18 months. How are you getting on anyway, Noreen? This is the first time I've actually talked to you live. I know, it's, it's strange, isn't it? We've been following each other for, uh, for quite a long time, I think. Um, yeah. But we've, we've never met in real life and we've never spoken to each other. I so. know, this is, this is lovely. I, lo I, I love this. This is great. This is great. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Um, uh, hopefully I can uh, uh, keep people's attention for a little bit of time, you know, maybe. Yeah, give it 50-50, uh, I reckon. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. I'm just saying just before you joined that people who are uh, who follow you on twitter will know that we are in for a treat tonight and people who don't follow you on twitter will probably want to start following you after they've heard what you have to say tonight oh yeah no pressure then that's a, no pressure that's no. <laughs> <laughs> oh talking that's about lovely intro, <laughs> you're welcome uh, my pleasure uh, talking about phrases which we've used uh, lots uh, recently the one which can you hear me the other one is you're on mute. Have you had to use that quite a lot? Oh my goodness, yeah. And it's and it is very it's quite difficult because um, the people, the students who I work with, aren't necessarily uh, technologically au fait. So it's sometimes a case that you have to employ kind of very primitive methods, such as like you know, kind of dance or uh, kind of a charades helps. But okay. it's, it is it is quite difficult to try and get people to. Um, 
press the button you need to when they're panicking as well. It's like it's like starting off. I got here a tiny little bit late because uh -huh. um, uh, I was just putting one of my lads to bed, and then I'm trying to I'm trying to get on the uh, teacher oh. podcast. I'm pressing pressing all sorts of buttons. Pressing, I'm pressing, I'm pressing everything, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing my phone about and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I was about to get a hammer, Noreen, because I was having none of it, absolutely none of it. But, um, but yeah, yeah, you're on mute is a really tough one to negotiate, especially if people are a little bit uh, unfamiliar with the technology. I, I think, you know, I've I've been on Zoom and Teams, etc. for quite, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic. But even then, I still forget to unmute myself sometimes. This is, this is, this is it. You know, I mean, I think, I think uh, the expectation that everybody's going to keep up with every technological uh, doodah that goes on mm -hmm. is one that's, that's, that's kind of, it's a, it's a bit of a myth. And that's, that's, that's the same in education as well. You know, we had that, we had for the longest time, the, you know, that kind of digital native kind of myth that said that, you know, all young people know what to do when it comes to any type of technology. And I work with young people on a daily basis. No, they don't. They don't at all. You know, they, I mean, I, uh, I'm trying to think of one of the examples that I can get away with. Yeah. So uh, a number of months ago, I had a student um, who I had to teach how to use a mouse. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, so kind of like it, not knowing where the mute button is or not using the mute button is absolutely fine with me. You can just, you know, anybody that kind of gets annoyed with it can just do one, I reckon. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And we are going to roll straight in to our number seven in the top ten. And our number seven for me was uh, Tom Rogers talking to Professor Becky Allen, uh, one of the analysts behind TeacherTap, and hearing about how that works and how we're gaining more insight into what teachers are doing. Good morning, everybody, and good morning, Becky. How are you this morning? I'm really good. I'm excited to be here on this radio show. According to your bio, correct me if I'm wrong, you kind of work at or with a university as well as with Teacher Tap. Would that be would that yeah, be right? That's right. So I do a day a week at the University of Brighton, where I'm mostly doing research, but do a little bit of teaching too. Um, and then the rest of the time, I'm working um, at Teacher Tap with Laura McNerney. <laughs> Um, and I'm the chief analyst there, so mostly crunching data. Yeah, because I was going to ask you, like, because I'm intrigued by this kind of teacher tap analyst role. You know, what what is that? Like, tell, well, for people who don't know what teacher tap is, say what that is. But then, what I'm interested in is the role of analyst, like what that involves. So, teacher tap is a daily survey app for teachers that Laura and I started back in 2017. Now, so really quite a long time yeah. ago. Um, and we have thousands of teachers on the app um, answering questions every day for us. So all that happens is the app buzzes at 3.30 each day. Um, and when you're ready, you, we ask you to answer three questions. And there are three questions 
about often about your day, what you've been doing um, in the classroom or in your school, or their questions about what you think about education policy, or perhaps how something works in your school. Um, and we started it just because we just felt that there was often quite a false narrative about the way schools were and, and about what was going on in schools. And it was quite easy for politicians and indeed for researchers to stand up and say, teachers are like this or teachers think this. And we used to sit there watching that thinking, do we know that? Do we really know that that's what teachers think? And a nice thing about teacher tap is that any time a politician stands up and makes an announcement at 3.30, we can ask teachers what they think of it straight away. And we can get really, really quick, uh, you know, feedback into into the world about, about what's going on in schools. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so what, what about being an analyst for them? And what does that involve? Like, give me your typical, your typical process of work. Like, what, what would it be? So we have some routine things that we're doing all the time because we're always writing blogs um, about um, what uh, to tell teachers um, how they responded to questions, where we're able to break down the, the findings by, for example, you know, the type of job you're doing or subject you're teaching or phase you're in. Um, so we've always got that going on every week. At any point in time, we've got different bigger research projects running. So at the moment, we're trying to look at what the state of, I suppose, teacher recruitment and retention is, particularly post, you know, post-COVID lockdown. So we'll be publishing on that in two or three weeks' time. So there's these bigger things. And then because it's a business, there's kind of bigger technical challenges that we have that we just have to sort out one of the things as the analyst is that we're always working really um, hard to make sure that our findings are representative of teachers across the whole population so that we we know what teachers are like across England because we have a school workforce census so we are constantly trying to create what they're known as sample weights weights to ensure that the responses you give are balanced to make sure our sample represents the population Got you. And I know it's uh, incredibly popular, you know, amongst teachers and you can see that on on social media in terms of the, the impact that it's had and, you know, and, and how it's, I guess, broadened the debate in, in many respects because it, it is kind of a window into into debating things. So in that it's sense, also, yeah. It's also made the debate more complex because it stops yeah. people saying teachers are like this. You know, the reality yeah. is it's a very diverse profession and teachers have very diverse beliefs and daily practices and ideas about how they think school should be run. And a lot of what we do is constantly, you know, talk about the diversity of the of, of the profession, and that has big implications for policy because it's it's hard to get policy to work in a in a in a profession that's very diverse and is not particularly amenable to having big ideas imposed onto it. Yeah, absolutely. Now that that leads me on quite nicely to one of the things I want to talk to you about, which is this idea of. Uh, teacher diversity, which is something you've written recently about in a blog, but I know it's included in your upcoming book, uh, which is called The Next Big Thing in School Improvement, which we're going to dig into um, during this during this interview this morning. Um, but this idea of, of kind of, you mentioned that, like um, teacher diversity or teachers being different and it being more nuanced and, and so on, but also you've related it, I guess, to, to kind of teaching style, teaching pedagogy, teaching... In that sense, so what 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 do you mean by this? Like this idea of teacher diversity, and and why why we did you feel exercised to write that blog and, and to include that theme into into your book? 
We wanted to write about teacher diversity in the book because I think it's a really important part of making sense of why it's difficult to improve schools um, and why it's difficult to make education policy. And what we mean by diversity is that teachers are very different to each other in their beliefs about what teaching is and should be and what schools are for, in their motivations for wanting to become teachers, but really most importantly, um, in their instructional practice, so the ways that they choose to behave in the classroom each day. And in the book, I suppose, we talk a little bit about why we think that that happens. And to some extent, it happens almost more than in other professions. We don't have a very strict code of how teachers should behave in the classroom. We say one of the reasons it's actually able to happen um, is it's very difficult for us to know what works and what constitutes effective practice in schools. And maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, but, but, but also because teachers are relatively isolated in the ways that they do their jobs compared to other professionals. You tend to work on your own inside a classroom without contact with other teachers. So it's perfectly possible for different types of practice to develop and persist um, within schools and, and to sit really quite happily amongst each other. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So, so far in our top 10, we have had Sobia with Maths Mastery at 10, Tabitha with High Expectations. Uh, for disadvantaged at nine. We've had Noreen talking about assistive technology and technology in the classroom at eight. Uh, Tom Rogers talking about research, informed teaching with Professor Becky Allen at seven, and on to Barry Smith with Emily Fulleron Show uh, at our number six place. Uh, let's hear a little about what Barry has to say. Okay, I'll, I'll do that, Emily, no problem to be honest i've never been accused of holding back quite the reverse okay. uh, right i'm old I'm old right so i started teaching in 1997 i was 29 when i started teaching so i had a proper job before that and uh, i went to teaching thinking man you know i like kids i like the subject i work quite late nice summer holidays can't be that hard can it and um yeah that, that's why i went to teaching i didn't have any great uh, concept that i'm going to change the world i just thought man, it's not a bad paid job you get nice holidays i like the subject like kids I love teaching from day one. I absolutely love teaching from day one. Um, I would also say from day one of my PJC, I thought, oh, but this is a lot of nonsense. See, I was 29 when I started teaching, but also, you know, I've been out of school for about 11 years. And by the time I, I went back to do my PJC, I was being told, well, you know, you, you've got to be doing surveys of kids and, and asking kids so they can tell you how they learn best and, and how they like learning best. I'm like, what are you talking about? Kids don't know how they learn best. So, you know, lots of things we were talking about in the beginning. I thought this was nonsense. Um, and it was lots of, uh, you must do games and you use, must use lots of pictures. This was before yeah. the days of PowerPoint. We didn't have PowerPoint then. We didn't have emails then. Tell you what, life was so much nicer when you didn't have emails. It was yeah. like you talk to human beings. It was really, really nice. Um so, so that was it. So from day one, uh, I teacher training. I thought, mm, that's a little nonsense. But you've got to jump through some some hoops, hoops obviously, but I but get your certificate at the end. Um, but again, you know, when I started teaching once, once I you know, got my PJC, 
nobody was constantly observing me, telling me how to do stuff. Yeah. It was very much sink or swim. Um, I was in a school where it was a tough school, South Wales Valleys. Um, and I remember uh, my, my uh, head of department, lovely bloke, not a great teacher, but a nice bloke. And he go, well, look, don't come asking me for answers. I don't even know what the questions are. There's a textbook, get on with it. And of course the textbook was nonsense, just lots of drawings and, and very little content. So I had to think, hmm, right. If I teach the way I've been told to teach, these children are going to eat me alive uh, yeah. and they're not going to learn anything. So it had me sink or swim. And I decided, well, uh, I best swim. And that was it really. And I experimented from the very beginning. Um, just again, looking back at something, you know, you and I spoke briefly earlier and yeah. you said you look back on who are the teachers that really inspired you when you were a kid? I look back at my teacher, I look at Miss Matthews, my English teacher, who was yeah. phenomenal, we loved her. And I look back at Mr. Rowland, uh, my French teacher, who, again, was just really inspirational. Mm. Um, and it was just simple both... practices, isn't it? It's nothing fluffy, not decorated, sparkles. complicated. Yeah. Teaching is not complicated. <laughs> it she really needs to know the right. subject and deliver it. But yeah, yeah, a lot of people, you know, subject knowledge is an issue. Yeah? yeah. A lot of people don't have very good subject knowledge. Uh, you don't need very good subject knowledge on lots of levels. So that's a danger, isn't it? You, but, you know, for years, obviously, the majority of my teaching, the French teacher, is... Um, you're doing key stage three it's pretty simple stuff so you can really neglect your subject knowledge you really mm. can and get away with it now and i did that for years you know yeah i was just i was enjoying the kids um they were learning what they needed to know we had a good relationship it was a good laugh but i didn't really work on my subject knowledge and i didn't need to but as time went by and I can't remember why I decided to. I was probably because, right, after about eight, nine years of teaching, I'd become a head department and stuff. Then uh, I worked in a, in a, in a turnaround school that was meant to be a fresh start school. Uh, we were told, you know, I was brought in as a head department, lots of new staff, and we were going to change the world. Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't really change the world. I mean, the results went through the roof. But there was so much gaming went on in those days. Mm. Um and, and I could see this This was really insincere and I, I didn't like what was going on there. So then I started, then I got a part-time job and started teaching teachers. So I started doing CPD stuff. I'd already been very experimental with how I teach languages. And uh, so, yeah, so I travelled the country for about a decade teaching teachers. So I must taught thousands of language teachers uh, in hundreds of schools. I'd often be hotel-based and they'd come to me and I'd be in Leeds for a five days, I don't know, or Birmingham or London or Manchester or Cardiff. And I travel the country and I do that. And, and I do whole school incense and stuff. You can get very well paid for that. Uh, mm. And I did that for a decade. It becomes a bit boring after a while. Um, yeah. Because what, what you, what you, you don't, you don't get that buzz of seeing kids progress when you do CPD. Yeah, that, yeah. that can be the danger. Mm. Um, but yeah, because I was doing a lot of that, uh, then I started working on my subject knowledge, and and, and I, you know, I, I really enjoyed working on my subject knowledge. Uh, and then, of course, after about it's, about, it's early 2014, uh, I think it was Joe Kirby put me in touch with Catherine Burble Singh, and from February 2014, Joe Kirby, Catherine Burble Singh, and myself were working on setting up Michaela. Michaela opened in 
September 2014. Wow, I definitely um, asking more questions about Michaela because I'm a huge fan and I'm a huge fan of Catherine. I know she has so much flack, but I'm just a huge fan of her. Um, you, yeah, so... Well, what was really good about Michaela was we... We were all very aligned in terms of our ideology, in terms of how you teach and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and so that made things easier. And we were determined, we're not going to go with the fads, we're not going to go with the fashions and, and the games and the gimmicks and the gadgets. Uh, we're not going to go with the zeitgeist, we're going to go with what we believe in. And as a consequence... Well, yeah, but everybody knows about the results of, of Michaela, but regardless of the results, it was the culture. Um, wow. You know, kids felt kids felt very accomplished very quickly because that's that's yeah. always good. Look, I've been teaching for seventeen years, so I brought seventeen years' experience to Michaela. A wow. lot of the stuff I've been—it's funny. Somebody contacted me recently. Um, he'd been on one of my courses long before Michaela, and he said, "Oh, I visited Michaela," and he said. It was just the school you described that was possible. And that was long wow. before Michaela. And so, yeah, it was it was really good because it was a bunch of like-minded people. It was only five teachers. It was me, it was Catherine, and these these youngsters, the teachers, and, uh, and 120 kids. And I always used to say, God, we'll look back in years to come and go, how do we have the arrogance to take this on? Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. On Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. We borrowed our pal, and as I say, it is our top 10 countdown and uh, we are tweeting out the links to these shows live as they go so if you follow us on twitter you can find them there to listen to the whole interview from each of these now we do have to go to the news but when we come back we've got our top five and as i say i have put myself in the top five because why not it's my top 10 and i've had some great guests on so i will see you the other side of the news don't forget you can text in and message in as we go we are live off we go This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, the SSTA union is calling for a delayed opening for schools after the Christmas holidays because of the Omicron variant. Seamus Searson, General Secretary of the Scottish Secondary Teachers Association, said... If the numbers keep going up, and it looks like that is going to be the case for some time to come, then we are not going to be in a fit state to reopen schools as normal in January. We're already hearing of schools that are not fully staffed, and parents are keeping their kids off to ensure they don't catch COVID in the run-up to Christmas. The idea that we need to keep schools open at all costs just doesn't add up. Delaying the start of the new term would give teachers more time to prepare for mitigation measures. A Scottish Government spokesman said, the Scottish Government is not considering school closures. As the First Minister has made clear, protecting the education of children and young people remains a top priority.
England, a teaching union has warned of a perfect storm of Omicron-related absences, following Nadim Saawi's letter to school leaders urging them to encourage ex-teachers back to the classroom. General Secretary of the NAS UWT, Dr Patrick Roach said, far more action is needed to improve the current market for supply teachers, which is nothing short of a national scandal. The government must address the delays with the DBS clearances and meet the costs of DBS certification so those teachers who do return to the profession are not left paying the bill. Dr Roach said that without guarantees from the government on teachers' pay and working conditions, the teaching supply crisis will continue for some time to come. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. From Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And next up at number five in my list is Seb Ventura with an interview with uh, the wonderful James Nottingham about the creation the, of the learning pit and how it's used, something I've used a lot in my career, and it was lovely to hear them discuss it. So let's hear a little bit of that. So do you want to just give us a little short bit of background about the sort of contextualise how you started the learning pit and, and where that came from? Sure. Um, well, thanks, first of all, for the invitation. It's good to be with you. Um, uh, I started the Learning Pit, um, it would be late 90s when I was a uh, classroom teacher. Um, at the time, I had a year five class. And um, these kids, they had challenging lives outside um, of the school. But in school, they seemed to want to play things a bit safe. And and they they... Uh, gave up quite easily and quite quickly if they faced any challenges. And um, I knew that um, they would learn more if they would step out of their comfort zone, but they just didn't seem willing to as much as I had hoped. And so I tried various things to encourage them. And of course, a part of that is praise, part of it is encouragement, part of it was demonstration. And then I thought, well, maybe if I um, give them some sort of diagram about learning, that might help. Yeah. It was very, very, very early days of the so-called brain-based learning and yeah. and so on. I'm not quite sure what other type of learning there is, but um, this was early days of that. And so I tried different things, and nothing really seemed to hit home particularly well. It didn't seem to grab their imagination. And I tried Vygotsky's Zone of Proximal Development, and I drew like <laughs> like some sort of egg. Yes, um, yeah, egg shape, yeah. On the blackboard, as was then. I mean, this shows you how, how oh, yeah. it was. And, um, and again, I mean, they, you know, they kind of got it. But um, and then in conversations, I was using philosophy for children. That was what I majored in when I trained to be a teacher. And and I, they said, "But why do you always try to make it harder for us? Why don't you just say yes? That's right." 
as a well it's more about trying to find out more from you and let's explore and think of other ideas and let's share those ideas with each other and let's um, be open to that questioning and and I drew on the board this idea look you, you where you start we often get worse before we get better we, when we try something new, when we try something different, if we have a, a straightforward answer and then people challenge you and question you and say, well, what about this and what about that? Um, then you start scratching your head a little bit more and wonder, well, is it right or not? So, for example, we all know that an odd number cannot be divided by two, but yet we can take any odd number of things and we can split them between our friends and between another friend so that you can split odd numbers of things between two people and yet in maths we say we can't so yeah. we start to get a bit puzzled and so often we feel a sense of confusion and we feel as if things are getting worse and you, you see this particularly in PE where you know you, you get a bit of beginner's luck and then you think oh this is great I've got this I was born for that. Yeah, yeah. It just gets worse all of a sudden, you know, when, when as the PE teacher says, right, now use your, your non-dominant arm or non-dominant yes. arm. Try yes. this. It's like, ah, it's not working, and, you know. Um, and yeah, so no. it's on the balls, like you get worse before you get better. Um, one of the kids there, where it looks like a pit, that. Now, whether this was because this was an ex-coal mining town, I don't know, but it just kind of captured my imagination captured their imagination and i built it a little bit more and well let's call this the learning pit and we drew it out and um it, yeah the kids got it and go home and say oh i'm in the pit and and we, we would and that's it that i mean you know that's how it grew it grew from there basically that was it until I started being invited to speak at Philosophy for Children conferences and train people in Philosophy for Children because Channel 4 had made a film of me using uh, Philosophy for Children. And I mentioned the learning pit in that, and it's just a very, very rough, hand-drawn thing. And the teachers went, oh, yeah, that works, that works, and off it went. And it just grew a life of its own. And, and then I, I went into leadership, and then I, I set up a, a regeneration project. And so the learning pit became something very, what shall we say, it just had a life of its own. I didn't yeah, leave it, just yeah. And now if you do a, a search online, you know, 200 million results come back. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And as I say, a great number five there from uh, Seb uh, talking to James Nottingham about the learning bit. Um, you can listen back to it at ttradio.org slash listen back or the tweet. I've sent it out uh, so that you can find it in the, 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 the thread of tweets that we're sending out during this show. If you have any comments on the shows, don't forget to text them in. Of course, you can call in. But we've got a tech update from you and I will see you on the other side. is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. This week we're going to look at one of the simplest, freely available, yet least used browser technologies, the Reader View. 
Chrome versus Edge. Let the battle commence. On screen one, I have Microsoft Edge weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. On screen two, I have Google Chrome also weighing in at the cost of zero pounds. Round one, opening reader view. On the Edge browser, the immersive reader feature is built in and can be activated by a button on the address bar. By typing read followed by a colon in front of a URL, and also you can simply press F9. Before you can open reader view in Chrome, you have to install it as an extension. It's free and not difficult. Once installed, you'll find it in extensions located to the right of the address bar. One point to immersive reader. Round two, features. Both come out fighting with the read aloud feature that allows the user to adjust the read speed, skip forward and back, and change the voice that is reading. They both also highlight the word being read. Chrome Reader has a volume control, which is a nice touch if not using headphones. One point, Chrome Reader. Round three, readability. A big feature for reader views is the ability to change the formatting to suit the user. Both allow easy changing of font size, font, and text width on the screen, but they differ in background color features. Here is where Immersive Reader offers quite a bit more. Chrome Reader offers eight background slash contrast colors, four light and four dark, Immersive Reader provides 23 background options, green, pink, yellow and blue included, allowing pupils with visual needs to find a comfortable colour. One point, Immersive Reader. Round four, editing. Chrome Reader features a design mode. This allows you to highlight text and make changes. Quite useful if wanting to pick out key points to return to. Immersive Reader does not have this feature. One point, Chrome Reader. Round five, extra features. Immersive Reader has a grammar feature, allowing words to be split into syllables. You can highlight nouns, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs by flicking switches. This feature is not offered on Chrome Reader. One point, Immersive Reader. Immersive Reader also offers reading preferences, featuring line focus of five, three, or one line, locking out the rest of the page. There's a picture dictionary, allowing some words to change the pointer to a magic wand that reveals a picture depicting it. Also, there's a translation feature allowing partial or full translation of a page into 88 different languages at the click of a button. Chrome Reader does not offer these features, however, other free products such as Google Translate could be used. Immersive Reader takes the point because you don't need to leave the page. Final score! Winning with four points to two after a blistering final round is Microsoft Immersive Reader, but let's face it, most people don't know these things exist. If you were one of them, please do something about it. See if these features are installed in your school, and if not, request they are. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2021 Twitter feed. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome back. And it is number four. And number four, uh, I have put myself. Now we have heard... um, Tom Rogers uh, talking to Professor Becky Allen about research. We've had Sobia talking about maths at number 10. Tabitha talking uh, about um, high expectations for our deprived children. And, you know, so many different things we hear about. And one of the things I love about Teachers Talk Radio is hearing about what's going on in different parts of the world. Um, And so it's my interview with um, Finn and Jane from Impact Wales. off we go at number four. It's myself. Yeah, and I guess that kind of takes me on with you talking about Scotland as well. And, and you know, people, I guess, who teach in, in, in further away places based on a, um, a 
UK teaching qualification because I, as I say, I trained in Wales, but my qualification allows me to teach in England. I can go to Scotland. Scottish teachers can can move to um, England, can move to Wales, and, and we can all move around. But there are some differences um, between the systems, and I thought it would be best if we started off with some of the big things that people don't know. So if I run through some kind of quick, I guess, uh, not not myths, but, but kind of facts about education in Wales that people might not realise, is that okay? Yes, go ahead. Okay, so first one. Um, it's, you know, actually, this is very topical because Gavin Williamson has just been uh, reshuffled, I think is the, the politest That's word. He's gone from it. the Department for, for Education in England. But it's not the DfE in Wales who organise education. They no, have no power here. No, it's education. It's a devolved matter, Nathan. It's, uh, yeah, it's the uh, purview of the Welsh uh, government, Welsh Parliament, and we have uh, the Education Department in Wales is completely separate to the Education Department in England. Um, and I guess also then, because, uh, you know, a lot of the current educational, um, that, that curriculum 2014 that came in was Michael Gove. And so some, some of the Govian type things that we talk about in education didn't make it across the border into Wales. So are there academies in Wales? No, nope, no, no academies, it, no free schools. It is a completely comprehensive education over here. There are state run schools and independent private schools. And that's it. And I think we've only got a very small number. It might even be just one or two um, girls' schools and boys' schools. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. boys and girls. I, I don't think there's very many at all. I think there's, might, if I'm right, there's only two, one of each in the Caffili Borough. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, I guess talking about the different kinds of schools does take us on to, to another point. Uh, I guess about the Welsh language. There are schools that speak only Welsh, though, in Wales. Or most there Welsh. are. There are, because it is a greatly spoken language. I mean, we've got, uh, it's, we've got Welsh medium schools, we've got bilingual schools, we've got schools with um, two streams, one English, one Welsh. And just to give you the figures, did a bit of research, uh, we've got 440 Welsh medium schools of some sort, whether that's fully Welsh or whether it's bilingual English and Welsh, but 984 English medium only schools. So it's roughly a third of the schools in Wales have all or at least half of their uh, curriculum in Welsh. But it's, it's also worth mentioning that Welsh is a statutory requirement for all pupils up to 16. So they yeah. have to study Welsh at, at school. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I think that is part of. Um, I, I guess it surprised people when I went back to England after training in Wales that I, I did a PGCE and I had no Welsh before that. So in that year, I had to learn, and whilst it was you know a primary level, my incidental Welsh, my classroom commands, and a lot of them have gone. So I'm studying rapidly at the moment to get back up to scratch um but i was doing the register in welsh i was uh, asking the children how they were talking about the day doing my tidy up and pack away all of that you know happens through the medium of welsh language absolutely because there's the uh, welsh government have a uh, a target of one million welsh speakers by 2050 so again looking at the population of wales that's roughly a third of the population in wales by 2050 are expected to be welsh speakers so they they're really putting their money where their mouth is and actually uh, making sure that systems are in place to make that happen it's, it's yeah. quite interesting though because i know finn and i have this conversation a lot about you know I, I was born and brought up in Wales and I went to a Welsh school, obviously. I was never taught a word 
of Welsh because it was not on the curriculum at that time in a South East Wales school. So my Welsh, I suspect Nathan, your Welsh is better than mine. And I've got, you know, I pick up bits as I go along. But I think things have shifted quite a lot. I mean, Finola and I are both um, Swansea graduates as well as you. So yes, yeah. trio of Swansea, we love Swansea. Um, but when I did my PGCA, PGCE at Swansea many, many years ago, there was no Welsh requirement either. So you know, we've yeah. got a whole raft of teachers around about the same age group as me or older that do not have that Welsh, so are having to pick it up as they go along. Yeah, I will say though, and you know, you're, when you talk about the the Welsh Assembly and the funding that goes into it, that one of the things that I have noticed, and maybe we'll get onto this later when we talk about um, sort of staff development and such like, but it, it, one of my friends who still teaches in Wales, he stayed in Wales and and and, and decided to stay here and continue his career here while I moved uh, to England and was kind of scraping for any sort of CPD. He he's just spent a year on. Um, uh, they call it not a secondment, sabbatical. Sabbatical, yeah, yeah. Sabbatical at the university for a year, paid to learn to speak better Welsh as a yeah. teacher. Yeah, and that, that, that is, kind that of a, investment. That is a big thing. I mean, we know we've got um, a member of our advisory board has done exactly that. Has gone off and done the sabbatical, and it does make a difference. I mean, there's there's a, an app that you can download to help you with your Welsh. There's lots of support out there. I, I've tried to learn Welsh and my, as an English person, and my, my Welsh is rudimentary. But yes, the, it, it, we've spent many a car journey, Finn, haven't we, with you oh, yeah. with it on and then reciting it? <laughs> Just <laughs> memories. Okay. Um, so we digress, I guess, into the Welsh language there for a second. But, you know, we were talking about some of the differences. And it's one of the things that I think surprises people, the amount of Welsh that's in the language. Now, another thing that might surprise people, I guess this is a bit kind of cheeky of me, but I did put out in the tweets earlier saying there's no Ofsted in Wales. Now, that's strictly, there is something though, isn't there? No Ofsted. No, there's Estin, which is, it, it, it is the Welsh version of Ofsted. It's, obviously, it's entirely Welsh. It's controlled by the, uh, well, it's not controlled, it's an arm's length, just like Ofsted is an arm's length organisation, um, inspectorate in Wales. So, and it inspects the Welsh curriculum and the Welsh school system. So it has to be different. Yeah, so I kind of maybe suckered people in there a bit to try and get them to cross the border by suggesting there was no Ofsted. There is an inspection framework. Right. Schools are inspected. It's just uh, yes. you know a similar approach, uh, but it but it's called Estin. Um, now there there are some differences around testing though because uh, Wales decided not to continue with SATs in primary school, whereas England continued on with them, I believe. Yeah, uh, SATs at key stage, you know, well we call foundation phase. Now, Key Stage 2 and Key Stage 3 went a good number of years ago, but we do have um, in there, as a replacement, we have national tests for every year group, um, every year, which are now online. So we've got a national numeracy test, a national reasoning test, and a national reading test that all of our learners um, up to age, up to year nine um, are expected to, to uh, have a go at on and their adaptive tests online. Yeah, and I guess you, you kind of mentioned it into there, which is something else I was going to say. Say the foundation phase. When I talk about that in England, I'm talking about really strictly speaking, kind of early years um, type. But it expands the, the the meaning of foundation phase in Wales is a lot longer. It's it's, it's pretty much the whole of Key Stage One. Or yes, in it England, is. It is. Yeah, it is. And I I, I mean I don't know. Uh, we're not foundation phase specialists. We're not early years specialists, but. 
um, it, it's very much learning through play in Wales. So that's the focus is all about continuous provision and enhanced provision and learner-led um, uh, learning through play. That That's the focus of what happens in Wales. Yeah, and I guess, you know, we'll maybe talk about that more with the, the curriculum for Wales, because that's really where I feel there is, you know, going to be these differences between the Govium knowledge rich kind of curriculum expectation that was put in and the a, a kind of, I don't want to stereotypicalise it, but a more play led, more kind of skills focused Welsh curriculum. The only well, other thing I wanted uh, hang to... Hang on, hang on. Go, go on. Just, just going to stop you there. Uh, I think we need to talk about uh, when we talk about it, curriculum for Wales myths is that it is not uh, the opposite of a knowledge-rich curriculum. We can get into that a little bit later, but I think we we need to say from the outset it is not play-based and it's not um, a creativity-focused curriculum. It's so much it's more. It's not purely skills-based either. No, no. But yeah, no, I think... Get into we, the detail will, later. we will definitely yeah. get into the details of where it maybe gets misrepresented, uh, and, and particularly I think when people try and put it in that contrast with what's happening in England, there certainly is a kind of easy, false kind of dichotomy yeah. to fall into with it. Um, the other thing, though, that I wanted to mention was that secondary um, that is still A stars and Bs and Cs in Wales. Um, where the, the, the we did not di- diverge like like England did. We stayed with our, our core GCSEs, A-level and even AS levels as well in the low sixth or year, year 12. Um, and I guess the only other bits that I wanted to kind of cover off uh, just before we really get started in our conversation was um, there are a few differences when we talk, we're talking about language. So SENCOs aren't called SENCOs, they're called ALNCOs, um, additional learning needs. So that's a, another language. We've talked about the foundation phase being meaning something slightly different for listeners around the world. Were there any other ones that you could think of where maybe sort of the, the, the wording was slightly different that might confuse any of our listeners? It's like education throughout, isn't it? It's just full of acronyms, this, that, and the other. But when when it all boils down to it, at the end of the day, regardless of what what we call things and what what we do, it, teaching and learning is still teaching and learning. Whether you're in Wales, whether you're in Scotland, whether you're in England, whether you're in you know the other other side of the world, you know, pupils yeah. learn and people and, and teachers teach. Teacher learning is still the same. And uh, we've got some texts coming in, one from Kate Jones, who I did say earlier I, I, I knew was a fan and obviously is, is, is being up Team Cymru. Um, she says she has mixed feelings about the literacy numeracy framework, uh, but hasn't taught in Wales for five years and imagines it's changed a lot. Um, good to know knowledge rich is important, so she'll be keeping out for that. Oh, and she's mentioned in there, thrown in there, the ECT. And I do have that as a question for later when we're talking about staff development. Um, but... Um, Wales is stuck with NQTs, a one-year NQT. Yes, we've got a one-year NQT, and we've got uh, we've got um, teaching and leadership standards which cover all areas of your career. Uh, but there is a kind of um, it, it's divided into three levels. So that there's your qualified teacher status, there's your um, NQT um, section that you're moving towards, and then there's the you know your when you your into your career proper so it's kind of covered in there um, but we don't have a specific guidance for early career teachers 
no, because I know that's causing a lot of kind of, uh, not angst, but it is, you know, something new that's being introduced in a lot of schools um, in England and possibly international ones as well, uh, where it is something new to them. I have to say, but the, the, when we get on to talking about the, um, I guess, teacher standards, I would refer to them most generally um, and, and the expectation on them, the, the Welsh ones, when I was introduced to them, I think are amazing. Like, as an English teacher coming over, when I looked at them, the kind of, um, uh, I guess, the roundness of it, the, the inclusion of leadership in there. Um, so if you if we could quickly, I'll, I'll um, just explain a little bit, I guess, about kind of uh, the, the different ones that we have. Now, uh, it's built around, I guess, five pieces. And um, there's a standard for pedagogy. There's a standard for collaboration, a standard for innovation. Um, a standard for professional learning and a standard for leadership as well as part of the teacher's professional standards in Wales. Yeah. Yeah. And yes. there's also a leadership framework that runs alongside it as well, which is worth looking at. Yeah, and uh, you know, and I when I first saw that as a diagram, and I thought, you know, I I think uh, the 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 added elements for me about kind of innovation, about collaboration, and about this kind of professional learning, which exist, I feel in England, but not as explicitly or as front and centre. And I guess someone explained it to me as saying that the the um, the Welsh curriculum this sits around it to enable us as professionals to deliver the Welsh curriculum. Um, and it sat as such a beautiful image for me, this idea that the, the Welsh system had been built with a curriculum at the centre and then professional standards around that to help develop the, um, the teachers in the centre, I guess. Do you know what's really interesting, just hearing you talk about it, is it's fascinating hearing somebody who has had experience in England coming into Wales and kind of seeing this with new eyes, because I think Jane will agree with me here that, you know, we've been embedded in the Welsh system for a well, Jane particularly, long more years than me, but certainly a long time now. That's all right. <laughs> and um, it's just you when you're looking at things that you've you've had in front of you for a long time. It, it's um, you see them quite differently. And I think one of the things about the um, the standards because we had a look because we don't tend to work that much with early career teachers in England. We tend to work more at the sort of strategic level and, and teachers and middle leaders. Um, that they were a lot um, more transparent, I would say, than the um, the standards over here. And the standards over here, when you've got standards for teaching and, and leadership, you've got the new curriculum guidance, 250 pages of it. You've got the latest consultation that's come out for assessment. You've got the accountability stuff that's going to be coming out over the next year. You've got literally teachers are, um, I don't know, um, I think struggling under the weight of all the documentation out there. We've got this, the schools as learning organisations, which is another thing that um, schools are expected to look at. So there's a lot of stuff out there. And yes, they are. There's some real good quality in there. But I think that I'm not sure that every school just right now or every teacher just right now is in a position as you are where they can look at things with fresh eyes and say, oh, that's great, that'll really help me, because there's just so much of it. And I'm sure that teachers in England say that as well, that there's an awful lot of guidance, what with COVID and what have you. But certainly, um, teaching in, in Wales is going through a period of significant change, if not the biggest change, um, certainly in my career, 
um, that I've ever seen. And I think that it's, it's, it means that all this information that's coming out from government, all of these frameworks and all of this advice and guidance can get a little bit lost because there's so much of it. I think that's one yeah, thing you know, I, that we... I was going to say, Finn, but that's one thing that we've tried really hard. I know we spent how many days this week unpicking the, the, guide, the, the consultation on assessment that's just come out, but we tried to make sense of all the different documents so we think about what would it look like in a school mm. because I think teachers are very, very busy, very, mm. very busy people, and how many teachers really do have the time to sit down and unpick all the documentation? Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And welcome back. You join us in our clip show talking about some of the best episodes for me. I decided and I put myself in there at number four, uh, but I can. So there we go. And we are making a hard switch now from the, the learning, from the personal professional development of some of the shows we've, we've, we've listened to already on our top 10. And we're making a, a switch here. The next up is Graham, and he is talking about... Uh, X-Men versus Harry Potter, who is the best teachers, what is the best school, well, uh, you'll see, off we go. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio on your Sunday mornings into your afternoon with me, Graham Collum. We are going to discuss um, schools in movies, specifically Hogwarts versus Xavier's School for Gifted uh, Youngsters in the X-Men movies, right? So those two schools I would like to deep dive into today where we where we analyse you know, the effectiveness, the teaching standards of Hogwarts from the Harry Potter series versus the teachers, teaching standards and the effect and the effectiveness of teaching in Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters from the X-Men movies. So that is what's on the docket today. And I'm serious, guys. We're getting into it. We are getting into it. Two schools of fiction. Which one's a better school? What do you think? We're going to review key aspects of Hogwarts and Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. Here's some things we're going to talk about. Their founding principles, what they're built on, which one is a, is a better kind of mission statement for a school. The building itself, the teachers and their work-life balance. Who's caring for their teachers more? School dinners. Who's getting better school dinners? Hogwarts or Xavier's? Something to think about. Um, supporting pupils with SEND. And think about that. Think about Hogwarts for a moment. Do you see people's ascend? How do they look after them? And then think about Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters. Do you the you know pupils who might struggle at certain times? How do how do they handle them? How do they deal with that? And um, communication with parents. Which which school communicates better with parents? Um, curriculum, of course. The subjects that are being taught are they getting a wholesome, varied, rich curriculum? 
Um, sports is something we're going to talk about, what they're learning in their schools for sports. Careers after school as well, career opportunities. When you graduate Hogwarts, do you have career opportunities? Where are you likely to go when you finish up with Hogwarts? Um, or in Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, when you graduate and you're off, you know, do is there a care programme? Is there some thought for what you're going on to do? Or are you left to go out on your Todd and deal with it from there? These are the things we're talking about today, guys. So let's talk about the founding principles of Hogwarts and Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters. We have seen um, elements of Xavier's school being started and its progress over the years. We've seen less of Hogwarts because it's kind of an ancient school, it seems. Um, but let's talk about what we can tell from the ethos, from what we see from the schools and the way they run. So Xavier's school, um, you know, that, to be fair, the X, school in the X-Men movies benefits from the fact that the X-Men as a brand are all a metaphor for anti-racism they're, they're a metaphor for anti-bullying and disabilities and rep representation so within the school of of x-men there is lots of tolerance anti-bullying peaceful coexistence is charles xavier's ethos that he opened the school with is about saying we want to exist with humans peacefully um, and there's a lot that goes into that message there's a you see um you know pupils who are treated as loners they are outcasts they are people who are not included with the rest of society and they are embraced by charles Xavier. they learn to find themselves and be happy in themselves that's the hope of course some people don't some people get frustrated with it or they think it's all a little lardy da but the ethos the thought behind it is about tolerance and peaceful coexistence so that's that's the kind of mission statement i would say for xavier's school for gifted youngsters and it does run through we'll come back to when we talk about representing send pupils and um, you know that kind of is is included in that as well and i would say to begin that's quite a nice mission statement from um xavier school for gifted youngsters hopping over the water then to hogwarts which is apparently in the scottish highlands guys just so in case you ever want to find it it's in the scottish highlands um xavier school for gifted young is in new york um new york let me have a little think be more specific hold on i do have the location here let me tell you exactly some salem type of location salem center westchester county new york is where you'll find um xavier school for gifted young guys in case you want to visit either of them that's where you're going to find them you know we can talk about the merits of those two locations as well because that's controversial in itself hogwarts founding principles what are the founding principles of hogwarts here's what i see and i think i'm going to get torn into a little bit but they got a, a lot of it is about competition isn't it they got their four houses they always pit them against each other they got their, their characters related to their houses which is massively problematic you know when you say a child is naturally selected to be in a certain house which has a snake on the symbol and is clearly the bad house what are you doing to these kids? Do you know what I mean? Like, talk about fulfilling expectations for themselves. Hello, you're in the snake house where all the all the bad people of history have come from. That's you, mate. All right. And then the other ones, they're in the friendly house where all the heroes have come from. It's not good. All right. The competition element in um, Hogwarts, there's an issue there. They pit the houses against each other. There's the Triwizard Tournament. They misrepresent houses. Obviously, it's all about Slytherin being bad and Gryffindor being good. No, Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff barely get a look in. 
over the years. And, and, and people have brought this up. You know, when I when I asked on online yesterday about which of these schools are better or what do we think of Hogwarts, you know, there are issues about the com- competitive element um, of, you know, are we being inclusive in Hogwarts? Let's talk about, like, let's talk about people who don't fit in usually, all right? Let's talk about, um, what's his name? Oh, oh, man, my wife said to me this morning, the guy who, like, would have been the Harry Potter but wasn't. Come on, somebody in the comments, drop in this um, that kid's name. He and he's like he's a clumsy kind of silly Neville. Thank you so much, Lauren Dorney, for dropping that in the comments. That is what the comment section is all about. Neville Longbottom, Neville Longbottom. All right, he is somebody who doesn't fit in. He's not a kind of strapping, good-looking young guy. You know, he he's not a picture, right? How is he treated in Hogwarts? He's kind of left out. He's kind of laughed at a bit. He's kind of made to look a bit of a fool. Even Ron is laughed at a lot. Teachers don't do anything about it. They usually pile on. They, I'm sure McGonagall and um, Snape are piled on with Ron sometimes. Uh, you know, it's quite uh, exclusive, I would say, comparatively to the kind of kindness you might experience in Xavier's. Uh, I would say the mission statement for for Hogwarts is one all about wizarding and all of that good stuff probably you know using powers for good and that but um actually a lot about competition and being better than others and things like that and and I'm not I'm not a fan so listen first gold star goes to Xavier's on the mission statement if you want to challenge me listen lines are open I'd love a call love a call in fact I'm just going to let that hang in the air about the mission statement and you any listeners can consider calling in um, on, on the Podbean app speaking live um, while we just have a little thought on the mission statement of either school have I missed something live from Swansea this is the Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio tune in and welcome back and yep that was our number three uh episode my number three episode and it was graham talking about x-men versus harry potter so many good episodes to choose from from him uh the uh one about the um uh, fidget spinners and the poppers and pogs i think they're called uh such a funny episode uh loads to choose from from his shows but he gets in at number three now we've got two left a number two and a number one. But before we get into the, the, the real nitty gritty of who's got the top spot, let's go to the ads. See you on the other side. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the program for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The program offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Teachers Talk Radio is delighted to support Winston's Wish, the UK's childhood bereavement charity. Winston's Wish supports children and their families after the death of a parent or sibling. 
They provide emotional and practical bereavement support. Expert teams also provide online resources, specialist publications and training for professionals. Find out more about Winston's Wish and pledge your support at www.winstonswish.org. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Um, welcome back. Now we have two left, our top two. And this next one is uh, we, we get- Tom Rogers. There you heard him cutting in, uh, talking to Max Kelly, who's a head teacher on the Isle of Man. And I've said this before about the episodes I've put in. There are the CPD ones where I'm learning something that will help me. There are the fun ones and the funny ones. There are the ones that um, expand my understanding of teaching from other um, uh, disciplines such as primary, secondary, special. This one on the Isle of Man was one of those shows where I expanded my knowledge just a little bit. Off we go. Going. Um, do you want to tell the listeners, I mean, I just touched on it there that you're an executive head teacher, but do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about you, what you do and how you got there? Sure, no problem. I work in the beautiful Isle of Man, uh, which is a, a little tiny island, actually not too far from from, from Liverpool. Uh, our ferry sails in and out of, of Liverpool. Uh, True. Well, it it, 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 it it still does, um, but uh, visitors to the island and uh, from the island into, into inland are a bit, uh, bit difficult situation at the moment because our, our borders are closed um, here in the Isle of Man due to, to COVID-19. But that's where our little island is. It's 30 miles by 15 miles. It's uh, the gem of God's earth. That's our national anthem. Uh, and it is absolutely gorgeous. We've got one mountain, and if you stand on the top of our mountain, Snaefell Mountain, right in the middle of our little island, uh, you can see the Kingdom of Scotland, the Kingdom of Wales, the Kingdom wow. of England, the Kingdom of Ireland, the Kingdom of the Isle of Man itself. Um, so it's 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 gorgeous. I'm just looking out my window now, Tom. The likelihood of being able to do that on a day like this is very uh, slim because it's quite misty and foggy today. But on a gorgeous day, there's nowhere better than the Isle of Man. And I'm very lucky because I get the privilege, the proud privilege to run two schools in the Isle of Man, Laxey School and Dune School. They're both on the northeast coast of the island. Absolutely stunning locations, beautiful scenery, beautiful people, beautiful families and communities. Um, The two schools are slightly different. Dune School is a very tiny school, uh, small by Isle of Man standards, so definitely small by by England standards. We have around 80 pupils on roll. Um, and then about five miles down the road, I've got Laxey School, which is my biggest school. The two schools are part of a, a federation, and I get the, the honour of, of overseeing both of them and, the, and the, the sort of overall strategic direction. And underneath me, I've got a fabulous team of heads of schools, um, leadership teams, steering groups, and then just wonderful teachers uh, and support staff who make those schools run and work for the communities they serve. That's just a a little flavour of me, Tom. Brilliant. I'll I'll be honest, Max, halfway through, I was wondering if you were for the Isle of Man Taurus board. I mean, that was a a eulogy. I loved it. I loved it. Listen, no, it does sound amazing, though, I have to say. I didn't realise you could see all those places from 
the middle of the island. Isn't the middle of the Isle of Man the mountain? Yeah, it's pretty much in the in it's pretty much in the middle of the Isle of Man, and it, it's it is gorgeous. And uh, my drive to work uh, in the morning down the coast road, you can on a really clear day, you can see the 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 English and the Scottish coastline. Uh, I look out over in my in my office at Doon School. I look out over towards Whitehaven, that part of uh, and, and Cumbria, that part of the the world. Yeah, that's uh, nice. It's just absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous. And some days it looks like you could swim over to to inland, but I've never been tempted to try it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, listen, I know when when we chatted about you coming on, um, and we'll come on to kind of today's news uh, in in a bit. But I know we were chatting about the differences in education because you you immediately said I can't talk about this 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 or this. <laughs> now, <laughs> or not that you couldn't talk about it, but there, there were specific things that you don't have, for example, in the Isle of Man that we do have in England. I was wondering whether you can tell us. A little bit more about some of the differences, in your opinion, between um, teaching out in the Isle of Man and uh, the rest of the UK. Yeah, sure. It's actually probably more similar than than than, than different, but the yeah. differences are important to to note. So when you ask me to to come on today and, and chat to you, I'm happy to talk about. Ethan Tom, and obviously as an educationalist and a senior leader in education, I have a wide interest in, in what's going on yeah. in England, in the UK, and, and around the world. But I didn't want to, to come on uh, and give an authoritative opinion on things that actually yeah, aren't affecting my work and, and what I'm doing in school at the moment. So to cite some examples, um, uh, perhaps a little bit of context is useful. The Isle of Man is not part of the U United Kingdom. Um, and that's something that's, that's often seen as a bit of a misconception from people that they think we're part of the UK. Constitutionally not part of the UK. We have our own government. Um, I know they say Westminster is the mother of all parliaments, but the Isle of Man Parliament is the oldest continuous parliament in the world. It's over a thousand years old. Uh, we're an autonomous nation. We set our own laws. We set our own policies. And as such, things like uh, Ofsted, don't exist in the Isle of Man. Um, things like Gavin Williamson and his uh, education policies don't exist in the Isle of Man. Yeah. Uh, we, we're free to, to set our own course and to chart our own seas in, in that respect. So there are those important differences along the way. Does it mean that we don't do school accountability and school inspection? No, we just do it differently to the, the offset model. Does it mean that we don't have somebody in charge of education? No, we have. We have a Minister for Education. His name on the Isle of Man is Alex Allenson, and he's our, our minister. That would be our equivalent of, of the Gavin Williamson-type role, I guess. Um, and we look across to, to England uh, and to Wales uh, and Scotland sometimes to see how they are running education, what ideas they have and what their policy directions are. And quite often we'll follow, but not always. Uh, the, the most sort of um, clear-cut examples I can give you, we we on the Isle of Man ditched SATs uh, oh, years ago, absolutely years ago, and we, we, we looked at what was going on in England, didn't feel it was the right fit for our young people, our education system, yeah. our teachers, and we, we thought, you know what, we've got teachers who are qualified professionals exercise and professional judgment, if we're all about recognising the expertise of teachers and delivering on the, the this idea of we're putting the trust in the professionals, let's move to a, uh, a teacher assessment system on the Isle of Man. So we don't have SATs, we rely on teacher assessment. We've built in systems of internal, external moderation and, and teams of teachers who 
know, go between the different schools over here uh, to make sure that there's a consistency. Um, and, and levels, I know I know England moved away from levels a few years ago. I have to say, Tom, in my experience of, of visiting schools over in England and popping in, um, and I'm sure it's more sophisticated than this, but one observation would be you've ditched levels and schools were given the freedom to go off and, and, and create new systems. And in that freedom, uh, with perhaps limited guidance, uh, schools have done a good job at reinventing uh, levels by a different name, I, I think. Mm. In the Isle of Man, we've kept with the, the, the level system. We're not suggesting for one moment that it's perfect. In fact, there's debate on the Isle of Man now within the teaching profession about whether this is the time to step out of that and, and to, to, to do something radically different with assessment. But until we were ready to have that conversation and until we have got something lined up to go in its place, uh, why would we ditch levels? Because that's something that we've invested time, money and understanding in. Um, so that's, that, that's still in place. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. An amazing interview there and that bit about reinventing levels by a different name really hit home for me as a, you know, a primary school teacher recently in England. Something that really felt for me. Now I have our number one uh, and I have two words for you, uh, Kate Jones and Doug Lamov. And, uh, well, need I say more as to why this one is uh, in my uh, number one spot for my episode so far. Let's hear a little bit before we wrap up the whole show and talk about what's coming next. Kate and Doug. Welcome, Doug Lamov, to Teachers Talk Radio. I'm so excited that you're here. That's Kate. I'm happy to be here with you. I start off uh, with a fun fact about all my guests. Now, this fun fact is actually more about me, but you're connected. So okay. <laughs> years ago when I was teaching in Wales, so this is over six years ago, I can't remember, um, the Minister of Education, the Welsh Government, I was very fortunate to help them and help the Minister write a speech. And as a thank you gift in the post, he sent me Teach Like a Champion. And he wrote in it that he loved your book oh. and that he thought I would too and he was right I did oh that's so nice thank you for that story Julie yes there we go being by the education minister um so we're going to talk today lots about teach like a champion and you're very well known for that in education but what I wanted to just start off with is a little bit of a, a background about before you became the teach like a champion superstar what's your background in education before that? Sure. Well, my first job at university was uh, I was an English teacher uh, at a, first at an independent school and I did that for, you know, for three years or so and um, enjoyed it a lot and then found myself dreaming of, uh, I thought maybe I'd become a, a university professor of English. I really loved um, studying English in college and so um, I started in a PhD program uh, with the intention of, you know, teaching at the collegiate level one day. But uh, very quickly, I kind of, uh, I was struck by how, this is a terrible thing to say, but I was struck by how dysfun dysfunctional academia is, at least in the U.S., and that it's, you know, it's really not about teaching. 
Um, and that uh, was sort of a strange experience. And I just was sort of had this realization that I would never be happy uh, toiling in the way, toiling away in the bowels of a machine that didn't really work the way that I thought it should work. And so I reached out to various people who I knew who did other things in the education sector. And I, um, I connected with a woman that I know in my college days who was running a charter school in Boston. And I said, what's a charter school? <laughs> uh, and she explained it, you know, she explained it to me. And uh, we agreed on a lot of just sort of key ideas about what a school should should do. And so I agreed to move to Boston and start this school with her. And um, we did, it was interesting. Originally, the idea behind the school was to sort of combine the best practices of uh, Asian education with Western education. Um, and this was in the late 1990s. And after a year and a half or so, she called me into her office one day and said, um, guess what? <laughs> um, I'm going to Silicon. She built uh, this information management system to sort of support everything we did in the school. And she said, I'm going to Silicon Valley and I'm going to see if I can turn this into a business and you're in charge. Uh, and I was 27 or 28 and terrified. <laughs> uh, but because I, in addition to teaching English, I've been the Dean of students, which is, uh, you know, uh, the person you get sent to if you, um, break the rules or someone needs to talk to you about making smarter decisions with better choices. Uh, so I was sort of the base of authority, I guess you could say in the building. So I ended up taking over the school. Um, and that was super challenging, but I had a group of really incredible people around me and, and um, I really worked as a team to, to, to help the school. And then um, I worked for a couple of years for the organization that, holds charter schools accountable and that was really interesting going from like the deep life of like trying to engineer one school to be great to watching lots of schools some struggle some thrive etc and thinking a lot about how we measure the uh, outcomes of schools and went to business school and decided i wanted to start a network of schools connect with norman atkins who's just this sort of very uh incredible entrepreneur in the U S and he was like, well, I'm going to start this network of networks. It's going to be a group of people who've started schools and we're going to all start schools together. And I didn't really even understand what he meant. But one day he called me and he said, we're ready. You know, I've gotten some funding. We're ready to start. Are you ready? Um, and I said, okay. And that became uncommon schools. And just in the course of doing that and preparing to do that, I had sort of been, I wasn't even really writing a book. I was just compiling this document on the things that teachers, I've been things that successful teachers did. It started with a visit to a school, just the most lovely people who were so well-intentioned about trying to start a great school for kids in the sort of a Northern city here. And um, the school was really, really struggling. And the principal of the school said, well, I went to visit Dave Levin's KIPP school. Dave Levin is one of the founders of KIPP. He's a sort of iconic, um, teacher in his schools were some of the best early schools. And I said, oh, that's so interesting. What did you take away? And I just remember thinking that the things that he had observed from Dave Levin's school were just, they were relatively trivial. Um, and he hadn't really seen the things that I thought drove success in a school like that. And so that was sort of the beginning of my jotting down these notes. I'm like, well, let me look at, let me find the best schools and the schools that really changed the equation of opportunity and study what teachers do there. And that ultimately became um, Teach Like a Champion, which, you know, as you probably know is now in its, its um, third edition comes out yeah. in a couple of weeks. And now I have, uh, eventually this began, I have a team now of um, 15 or so people and we 
we write curriculum and we train teachers and we study, we spend a lot of time studying teachers, which is fantastic. Uh, Listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio. And thank you all. That was my top 10 episodes. Nadolik Lowen from here in South Wales. Merry Christmas. Stay safe. And we'll see you in the new year. Nostar. No